So when I was growing up, pancakes and waffles, we would have um, not real maple syrup. And I don't know if that's because my parents didn't love me. Or because it was hard to get in the 80s and 70s in Oklahoma. Um, I have since had real maple syrup. And we were traveling a couple of years ago and pancakes were served. Maybe it was a bed and breakfast or something. And they had non-real maple syrup. (sighs) I had never thought something tasted so straight chemically. Right? Well, a couple of years ago, uh, Lynn Scogland, who lives at our retreat center and does some, helps us out a little bit there, she showed my daughters and I how to tap a, a maple tree, and then the next year she asked if I would like some uh, buckets, and she got me some up in Vermont. And this is, uh, this one's not quite clean. This is batch number one this year. It's a little darker than I was thinking, but good. This is batch number two. So far this year, it's so good. What if I told you that in you celebrating me making maple syrup, all the sweetness of it would dissolve? There was some kind of magical connection between you celebrating as you should the delightful process of pouring it through the giant stock coffee filter, boiling it down 60 times, pouring it into the serving it. Something about you celebrating that with me takes away the power. And then let's make the metaphor even stronger, even though it's already faltering a little, if you're paying attention. Let's pretend that maple syrup has magical properties. That it can not only help us in the next life, but actually can give us peace today. And I mean comparatively to what else is out there, it can, and... I've even received some articles about the potential medicinal benefits of it. Right, Rich? Yeah. Um, If I told you that, we would never want to talk about it. We would still eat it because it's delicious. We would pour it on waffles and pancakes and sometimes over fried chicken and bacon. You think I'm crazy. That's a delightful way to eat those things. You wouldn't think to put them together. It tastes amazing. If I told you that, You would not stop eating maple syrup, but you might resist sharing with other people. I've enjoyed saying over the last couple of weeks that if Jesus rose from the dead, the Sermon on the Mount is the most important speech in history. And if it's the most important speech in history, how interesting is it the things he does and does not choose to talk about? Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not everything Jesus said. The book of Matthew can be separated into five separate discourses. This is one of them. But this is the longest one, and this is the first one. It's a definition by description and by command of the followers of Jesus. Begins with the Beatitudes, and you are the salt and the light of the world if you're a follower of Jesus. Ends with build a house on the rock. It's, and then he teaches all these things in between. So, let's assume for a second it's the most important speech in the history of the world. How interesting then is Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, do not heap up Did I already say that one? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping to verse 6. I'm going to start over with the Lord's Prayer. I need to get a bigger print Bible. It's happening. (laughs) It's happening. Now, I have contacts and it messed me up, Jeff, but thank you for offering me glasses. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither... Will your Father forgive your trespasses? I've spoken about that a couple of times. I will talk about it again. I'm not going to talk about it a ton this morning because it comes up in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You need a good definition of forgiveness so that this text doesn't crush you. That definition is forgiveness begins with not desiring the other's ruin and desiring their good. That's it. That's the only warning part of forgiveness. Is there more to relationships? Of course. Of course there's more to relationships, but that's what forgiveness is. I have to say that. If you're not familiar with this part of the Bible, that's about the strongest thing Jesus will say. There, that was me not teaching on it. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will, you have, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you The sneaky way that religion is toxic is the way I titled this because one of the things that happens is we start to do religious things for entirely good reasons. And during that process, we start to wonder if other people are going to be impressed, especially by our spirituality. 
I do not think most people start to do religious things to impress other people. I do think that Jesus spent some extra energy helping us understand that our humanness in a bent and broken world will twist it so that we're kind of trying to impress people through our religious activity. The way I would define it is the toxic spirituality is doing spiritual things so that other people will notice and the reason it's sneaky is because most of us don't start anything religious for that reason, but oftentimes it creeps in. And in the most important speech ever given in history, Jesus spends a lot of energy and time helping us understand that so that we might enjoy the joy he purchased for us. Understanding this part of Jesus can really help us understand the rest of Matthew, too. Jesus treats every human who comes to him differently. To some religious leaders, he calls them whitewashed tombs, blind fools. To other religious leaders, like Nicodemus, who come to him humbly, he's careful to, to, to back Nicodemus up a little bit and help him understand where he's missing the good news. To, some foreign, to, to almost every foreigner who comes to Jesus, he honors them, but often asks them to press in a little bit. Why does he talk to the rich young man in Matthew 19 the way that he does? The sneaky way that, religious, that our religious tendencies can be toxic is one of the ways to understand how and why Jesus interacts with people differently. And, and one of the, the reason that this is a problem humanly is we have a desire to be seen. And for many of you, you're like, nope. No, I don't. And I think that's because you're either tired or your desire to be seen is so much smaller than some other people's. And if you're tired, it's been, you know, you're tired of the brokenness and bentness of the world and you no longer want to be seen. And I don't mean in front of a crowd and I don't mean noticed by hundreds necessarily, but there's a desire in us to be, let me say it this way, to be known. And what happens with religious activity is the good desire, that's a good desire, by the way, to be known is a good desire as is the desire to be loved. But the good desire to be known mixes in with the bad religiousness inherent in all human beings and it comes out toxic. Something that we must notice about this text that I don't hear talked about in any religious circles very often are the rewards. Seven times in 18 verses. Jesus mentions that there are rewards, both for practicing religion in a toxic fashion and for refusing to do so seven times. We must notice that. But toxic spirituality, the bad kind, Jesus is, in, is contrasting the good kind and the bad time in, kind in all three of these teachings. Toxic spirituality is the one that looks to others. So here's a question that I have for you about your prayer life. Did you notice Jesus assumed that you pray? I really hope this is not the only time that you pray this week. I hope you find some time to get alone and pray. You know, you can pray the Lord's Prayer in about 15 seconds. You could walk home. Don't tell anybody what you're about to do. Go into your closet. Close the door. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Come back out. And we will have, we will have followed. I have a question, though, about your prayer time. Do you sound like you? One of the ways that I think we can let the religiousness 
that exists somewhere in our being. The Apostle Paul called fleshiness. We think that there's a right way and a wrong way with respect to, to certain formalities of language. What we're supposed to do with the Lord's Prayer is take the ideas of it and pray it in our own words. So I hope that you sound like you when you pray. That's one way to avoid the sneaky way that religion can become toxic. Uh, One of the reasons that the boxes for giving money to the church are in the back is because of this text. It's not the only reason. I had some, some of the most spiritually and emotionally mature people at the church tell me that they were giving online and they were worried what other people around them thought and they weren't worrying in the bad way. They weren't anxious about it. But they wondered about that to me. Act more than once, more than one person. Very emotionally, very spiritually mature people asking that. That's not why we put the boxes in the back, but it's part of the reason. That's also why, and I I feel like I need to mention this once or twice a year, because we end up having new people all the time. I have no idea what you give. Did you know that? Only a couple members of our finance committee know, and they know because of what it is to be a 501c3, and we have to be audited, and there's due practice and all that. I don't know. Did you know that? And you know why I don't know? Because of this text. If I knew, and we all went out to lunch, I would end up acting differently, because I'm a human being and imperfect. And one of the ways that the church helps me with that is that I don't know. Not every church is like that. You can make of that what you will, but we take this text very seriously that we have a tendency in us to do the religious things that we do kind of to be celebrated by other people. And the reward for that is either really awful or non-existent, depending on how you interpret Jesus' words. At one point he says there's no reward. At one point he says, or multiple points he says they have received their reward. And I'll ask you a question about that in a couple minutes. And then fasting. And I'm going to kind of use fasting as an umbrella term for spiritual disciplines. I know you don't like the word discipline. It's something wrong with our culture right now. We think like words like authority and discipline are bad. And that's because they can be bad, like anything. And yet, learning a practice that will give your heart peace. Why don't we like that word? Learning a practice that men and women have used for thousands of years to enjoy the joy of the with God life. Maybe we should be less resistant to that word. So here's my question. Because Jesus assumed um, that you would fast... Do you have a spiritual discipline set into your calendar over the next couple months? And there are a lot, by the way. Those of you that are extroverted, you can meet with someone for coffee and send them an email. And you're going to be nervous about this email, but you send them an email before you go. It's like, I want to talk most of the time that we're getting coffee about my prayer life. Would you be willing to do that? And you're going to be like, I'm nervous. They're going to think I'm overly spiritual. It's good to sit with other people, that is a kind of discipline. Sit with other people and talk about our real heart. Is there any time in the next 12 months that you have allotted to enjoy the joy purchased for you in Jesus Christ? You can do it through study. You can do it through listening prayer. People here would guide you in that. You can do it through silence. You can do it through conversation. But there are gifts given to us. Not, they, they merit nothing before God, really. That's part of the problem with 
uh, talking about these for too long as I invalidate the text totally because the point of the text is they don't merit anything before God and yet when we appropriate them the right way the disciplines offered to us we're more at peace we're more humanly able to enjoy what has been purchased for us by Jesus so I wonder if you have anything in your calendar. At the same time, if you don't, maybe part of the reason is because right now, I think in 2018, half of this text is very apparent to us. What I mean by that is I think our culture despises hypocrisy. And that's actually a nobility of 2018, though it's imperfect. I lived in St. Louis for 12 years, and it is a... Uh, as churches go, it's a little more higher liturgy, the, whole, the, the city. And so you could go out on Ash Wednesday and you see people everywhere with the, with the cruciform mark, right? A lot of them went to 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Mass and they have the, the cross on their head. And some people are bothered by that. We don't know that person's heart. They're like, why are you crossing at me like that? And the reason that it bothers us is we're wondering if they're telling us about their inner heart. Why would you tell someone about your inner heart? That's why one of my friends said recently that it was fascinating that the two shallowest days of the year, Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, happened at the same time. I don't know. I don't know what happens in your heart. We did the sign of the cross on people's head, and I said at the service, wash it off when you get home. Because the point is not that other people know that you went to church. The point is a way to remember what's been done for us. That we might remember more quickly and easily that God loves us and calls us His own. Toxic spirituality looks to others to affirm and celebrate instead of to God. As I've taught uh, at, at times on prayer, Sometimes people hear me saying that we are, ought not to pray in groups. Um, let me be clear. I hope that you really enjoy our time of prayer in the middle of the service. When I talk to other leaders about it, I say a lot of newer people, it's one of the first things that they'll describe enjoying about the barn. Good. It is good to pray together. If you've ever had a prayer partner, you know, I hope, it is delightful to pray with them and for them. We have people that will pray with you after the service. If you've never taken advantage of that, I hope that you do. And if you never pray alone, you are missing out. Jesus said, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and He will reward you. Not one part of that until the very end is metaphorical. And so it's a both and. It's not an either or. Unless the only place that you ever get any time to enjoy the Father heart of God, taught to us by Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit in prayer is with others, then that's a problem. One other thing about prayer. Um, many of us have things that we're praying about for, for many years in a row. You have a friend who is not a follower of Jesus and you're praying for them. You have a friend with chronic pain and you're praying for them. You have pain in your own relationships that does not seem to change ever. A little encouragement for you. 
change the language every once in a while. Not every day, but change the language every once in a while. Because what happens with humans is we pray for the same thing over and over, which is good, but then we end up praying the same words over and over, and we begin to believe a little more like the pagans that Jesus is describing. And that's not a negative term for Jesus, it's a very precise term. People that worship differently than us and believe differently about gods. I always think of Dragnet from the 80s, people against goodness and normalcy. Remember that definition? Wow, you guys haven't seen that movie. You don't think that's funny. It's exactly two people laughing, which is fine. Don't use that joke next time. Okay. Jesus is not speaking negatively. He's speaking specifically about how other people understood prayer. What can happen to us? We're praying over the years for a friend, a family member, in chronic pain for them to come to faith, a problem in our relationship that doesn't seem to be changing. When we use the exact same language over time, we start to believe a lie. That lie is, when I get to time 104, then God will fix it. That's not true. He hears your prayers. Every single one of them matters. He is working. How much? (laughs) I don't know. We trust the Holy Spirit with that. But we also trust the Holy Spirit that each one of our prayers matters. And in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 16, Jesus cautions us to watch out for repetition. So repeat the heart of the idea, but, but change the language up. If you use a prayer journal, it's a little easier to do that. Giving is an interesting thing to talk about with the way Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6 and the way that our, our culture, I think, um, is very anti-hypocrisy. I think it's fascinating because our culture is anti-hypocrisy, but I'm not sure we do the things that are talked about here. So, like, we're anti-celebrating our great prayer life, anti-celebrating our great giving spirit, and anti-celebrating our, our enjoyment of spiritual disciplines. But we might not actually do those things. And so I hope that you're planning and giving. And I'd love to talk about the balance between church and other places, but Jesus is speaking much more fundamentally about the human spirit. So some of our culture's resistance to the hypocrisy, especially in religious settings, with respect to spiritual disciplines, prayer, and giving to the needy. By the way, Jesus is expected that we give to the needy. I think that's a nobility of our culture that we're resistant to that. And are you planning and able to give? And you're like, no, I pay estate tax and mortgages. Not estate tax. More, my, <laughs> the tax on my house. I pay tax on my car. I pay sales taxes. I pay estimated quarterly taxes. I pay business tax or whatever. And you're drowning because Connecticut is a very complex and expensive place to live. And yet Jesus expects that we give. And so we plan and we do our best and we give. Three times Jesus says he expects his followers to give. And everything, I I did this in the first service too, everything I was going to say about fasting and as a result, spiritual disciplines I already mentioned. Hmm. You guys caught it all the first time. I don't need to say it again, right? We're good. Okay. I hope that you have a lot. I hope that you know yourself and therefore know the ways that you enjoy the Father heart of God in prayer or in some other form of discipline. You could study. Set some time out of your schedule and read a little bit. That is a spiritual discipline. We call it contemplative or intellectual. It doesn't have to be by yourself, but I do hope that you take Jesus seriously who expected you to fast. Another way to enjoy Father, our God, is actually to, to fast. 
doesn't have to only be a metaphor for other spiritual disciplines. Toxic spirituality looks to others instead of to God, and yet we can look to God and enjoy the peace that Jesus described, the peace that the early followers of the church described, the intimacy with the Father that Jesus obviously experienced when he prayed, the intimacy with the Father that the early church experienced even after Jesus left, when they sang together, when they got alone and prayed. The problem is the toxic spirituality delivers. What do you think? So I'm going to read the text again, and I have a question for you, and it's, it's a simple question. If you have notes, my notes literally just have a line in it to remind me what I'm about to do. How would you describe the reward of the bad spirituality Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 6? I'm going to read the text again. Listen especially for the seven references to the reward. Going only to God with our spirituality, doing it so others will celebrate it. Okay? Those are contrasted by Jesus seven times. What adjective would you use to describe that kind of spirituality? Listen again to the text. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when you fast or practice other spiritual disciplines, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you come up with an adjective? You like toxic? That's what I like. Obviously very, very bad for us. And yet... Religious things, not only toxic for us practiced the wrong way, also merit nothing. Did you know that? Did you know that this doesn't make God happy with you? That's not the purpose of this. There is no activity for you and I to do, separate or together, that makes God happy. The gap between his requirement of holiness and our ability is, is way too big for that. Yet, why are we here? 
Why do we do religious things? Why do we seek to do religious things the healthy way, the non-toxic way? Because there is joy to be enjoyed. There is peace to be experienced. My understanding of the reward is this. And I have said this before. So if you already know it, you tune out for two minutes. I think it's worth saying again. I believe the reward that we receive for learning to practice what we believe already to be true, learn to pray, learn to give, learn spiritual disciplines, the reward for those is peace in our heart. This is how I discerned the reward. As best I can tell, when Jesus got up from his times of prayer, the way that he appeared to the disciples, his confidence in his mission, his sense of intimacy with the Father, that's where I discerned this. Argue, some of you like to argue with me about this, and I love it. It means you're opening your Bibles and we're talking about it. It's great. Here's the reward. Peace in your heart. Didn't Jesus always have peace? Sure. And wasn't he kind of unsettled? He was unsettled that the... Many of the Jewish men and women were not realizing his message. He was unsettled about his own role. He was unsettled with the disciples who wanted to burn up cities sometimes. And he would get up from his time of prayer at peace. He also experienced intimacy with the Father. What was said to him at his baptism was affirmed in prayer. And because of his work, it's yours and mine also. You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. So when he would pray, when he would practice the spiritual discipline of getting alone, he would remember the intimacy that he knew he had. And he was confident of his role. Do you know that you have a role? You know that you're not only called away from sin and death, but called into specific role in the kingdom of God in this life and in the next. You'll have a role in the new heavens and new earth. You'll have a job and it won't be an annoying job. It'll be delightful. What we enjoy when we practice religion correctly is not that we've merited anything with God, but we've spoken to our soul about what we believe to be true and we receive peace, intimacy with the Father, and confidence in our role. You have a role. With the people you find yourself in, your role is vocational, whether you have a job or not. You have a role. You've been given specific gifts and circumstances and affections. Last time I talked about this, a good friend who's very well studied in the Bible said, the other reward is answers. And I say this, sometimes. Sometimes the reward is an answer is there are a lot of things we will not know fully this side of heaven. But the rewards that I believe we receive every time are peace. A sense of our intimacy with the Father and confidence in our role. Jesus' offer is not stuff to do to make God happy that doesn't exist. There is no stuff for you and I to do to make God happy. If we're trusting Christ, and we believe all of the wrath of God came down on Jesus, we receive that by faith. God is happy with you. And now we have opportunities to enjoy the joy of the truth of that. Through both these disciplines and prayer, and more importantly, implementing them in a non-toxic and healthy way fashion.
Otherwise, there is no reward. We don't do these things for the reward, but we notice that when we let our religious toxicity seep in, we're suddenly doing something incredibly unhealthy. So do these things, not to merit favor with God, but because Jesus merited it for you. And as you do these things, watch out for the religious spirit that is in every human. Do you pray with me? Father in heaven, help us to enjoy the joy that you have purchased for us. Jesus, guide us into healthy religion that is not for others' approval, but is to remind our heart of all that you did. Holy Spirit, give us a sense of the fact that you're with us, comforting and guiding us in all of life, and certainly in our religious activity. Amen.